RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 3, Episode 19. Letter from Gene Roddenberry to Dick Silbert, November 3rd, 1975. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, welcome back, all you Star Trek fans, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly, yes, all you tech heads, all you film historians, especially this week. And of course, all you truckophiles spelled with an F. We have an interesting piece from what I would call the early movie era of the 70s with Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry. A name that may not be quite as commonly known, uh, definitely linked to Paramount Pictures at the time. And uh, some interesting thoughts from Gene that uh, give us a little revelation here about what's going on with his mindset. Um, And a sense of humor. Or maybe his sense of fatality. We'll see what's going on. Listen, take a listen. Uh, Of course, you can find our sample document this week at our Facebook page, Facebook slash The Trek Files. Read along, and I'll be right back with this week's guest. I write this more in amusement than in any bitterness. You've certainly been around long enough at creative levels to have seen such things happen, but bruised feelings can work to create an image of an impossibly egotistical, wild-spending, stubborn writer-producer who just happened to have a lucky formula occur to him. All right, Trekophiles. Yes, Gene firmly has his tongue planted in cheek there. At least I hope he does. What an interesting letter this is. He's getting one of those, let's get our relationship off to a good start in writing. (laughs) Uh, For what was going to turn into a much longer odyssey than he had any idea. This is the first stage of of, um, moving along with the next phase of of the movie work. But welcoming a new person to the studio, Dick Silbert. And I'm going to welcome (laughs) to my side here... You know him as the host of Mission Log and Mission Log Live and our co-producer here, John Champion. John. Hello. This Hello. Is a, this is an interesting one. I'm really glad to be able to shed a little light on who Dick Silbert mm-hmm. was and his relationship to Paramount and Gene and Star Trek because that was a name that I didn't know. It's not one of those that comes up a lot. Um, you certainly hear about Michael Eisner and the development of Star Trek The Motion Picture, but this is a really short window during that uh, very tumultuous development of, well, it was the God thing, and then it was Planet of the Titans, and then there was Phase 2, and finally we get to the motion picture. Uh, but this is a, a little slice at the end of 1975. Yeah, I'm just doing our checking our timeline. So, so Gene had submitted his first draft of what became later known as the God thing, uh, had it rejected in the summer, and then had turned around to work on a new revised version with uh, John Povell, who would go on to work with him in, in Phase 2 of the series and in the motion picture. Uh, so it wouldn't be rejected until next spring. <laughs> so if nothing else, you know, and, and Quester is already in the past, uh, all the PAX movies are in the past. So right now this is front and center in uh, Gene's, um, in, you know, in his field of view. And again, this is, I feel like this is the second or third time we've seen one of these, hey, 
let me put my arm around you, big guy, yeah. uh, in, in writing. And let's let's just understand a few things here because I'm such a friendly guy and you're going to hear all kinds of stuff about me around here. And let me just set the record straight up front. This right? is so interesting because it, it really is something that Gene got good at, which is mm-hmm. saying, um, let me explain to you what Star Trek is and why it's special. Let me explain to you the things that you got right and wrong in our meeting. <laughs> let, let me explain to you who I am and my special relationship to Star Trek. And yes. let me also remind you that you really can't do anything about it if uh, if you don't like me being here. Uh, the very last line, and, and I, I feel that we need to kind of get that out of the way right up front. And then we can talk about the meat of it. Is he, he just says, like, um, yeah, it, you know, just keep in mind that um, I am the creator-producer of Star Trek, and I'm contractually bound through the original contract with Desilu. Uh, so just he even says, you know, but by common sense, I'm the person to go to about right. Star Trek. So right. let, let's just get the relationship Who needs clear. a binding legal contract when, yeah. you know? yeah. Let's uh, let's just get the relationship clear right away. I am Star Trek! <laughs> right. Yes, right. yes. Yeah. Um, um, but there's there's so much good stuff here, and I tell you, but before we get into the, the say, real details, up. let's talk about who Dick Silver yes, is. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, go back to 1975. Robert Evans, the kid. Robert <laughs> Evans. What, the kid stays in the picture. Right? Robert Evans. Yeah. He, he was the guy, uh, producer of Chinatown, and, and just sort of the, this force to be dealt with in Hollywood. Uh, young, ambitious, uh, uh, maybe a little antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Some people might say. Abrasive. Abrasive, yes. you know. But but he really put his stamp on that golden era of uh, of really creative and the, that merging of big studio and independent pictures during that time, late 60s, early 70s. Well, they were still reeling from the end of the studio system. Yeah. Right. The yeah, contract yeah, yeah, system. Yeah. And the studios were trying to find their way. Yeah. And there were some down years for Paramount as an old brand. Oh, sure. And people trying to bring it back. And he was one of the first steps of, of finding the new footing in the new era. And, and had great success, not only commercially, but artistically. Um, And he steps down suddenly in 1975, and who does he appoint but an art director? What? Dick Silbert. What? <laughs> what? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for the first time, and I, as far as we know now at this recording, the only time in Hollywood studio history that uh, an art director, a production designer, has suddenly been given the keys of the kingdom to be uh, a, a studio executive, that's what happens here. Uh, Dick Silbert, who had worked on all kinds of movies, picked up Academy Awards. Suddenly, in 1975, he becomes a studio executive. Head of programming. Yeah, Um, yeah. And held it for three years. Held it for three years, and, you know, we don't know all the details of the end of his three-year term, uh, but two words, Michael Eisner, two more words, Barry Diller. That was a changeover that started in 1976. So here was Silbert, who had been in place just a little while, and the regime starts to change. And uh, we all know, of course, that Michael Eisner is so deeply tied to what became the motion picture, but for this brief time... Dick Silbert was the go-to guy. And his protege was uh, was Barry Diller, who was the originator yeah. of the fifth movie, the fifth network yeah, concept, yeah, right? So become, things uh, are in the change, yeah. and, and yeah. I'm amazed that Dick Silbert survived three years. It's uh, kind of amazing, uh, right? transition. Now, yeah. he had a couple of hits. He, he and Which is probably how he did. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He had and, some and, good... Yeah, very unlikely hits. So, The Bad News Bears, 
So just, you know, little comedy doesn't cost a lot of money, but it did very, very well. Looking for Mr. Goodbar, a very edgy, mm-hmm. might say a little avant-garde film for a studio like Paramount. So he at least had a little bit of a track record going of, uh, of movies like this. But then what happened? Well, the studio wants more movies like Bad News Bears. And what is he buying the rights to? Well, he's buying the rights to A River Runs Through It and my favorite, Interview with the Vampire. In the mid-70s. Yeah, it would not be made for another 20 years. Right. But he had the foresight to buy a movie like that and say, this is the kind of stuff we should be doing. And it sat in the vault. The rights sit in the vault somewhere until someone, till, till the, yeah. the culture catches up or someone looks and says, oh, my God, this would be great. Yeah. Uh, mid-70s might not have been recognized for that. I, right. Whether that was why he was officially, uh, eventually edged out. Or yeah. not, but yeah, but he had some successes there yeah. on his belt. Yeah, he certainly did. And, and what I find really fascinating is that in 1978, when he steps down, we'll say, right. as uh, as vice president, he then goes back into art direction. And, and does quite well. And does quite well. He worked on Dick Tracy, which is one of the right. most expertly designed movies of the 1990s. I one, say, one, most uh, decades. Oscars at least for makeup. And yes. our good friend Doug Drexler yeah. on that team. Yes. So that, that sets the stage of who Dick Silbert is. Fascinating. And then you get Gene <laughs> writing this fabulous letter. Well, and he's this is soon after. I think this is soon after uh, Silbert's had a chance to to rack up all those wins and make some of yeah. those decisions, good or bad. Uh, it's soon after he's come to the studio. So here's Gene um, <laughs> talking to the new boss, talking to the new guy in charge. and uh, but, at, but at the same time, overlapping where he was with Star Trek, which again was a second, a hope for second pass at the God thing. It would be the yeah. summer of 76 when that was rejected and they went with a whole new uh, the new team emerging went with hire Jerry Eisenberg hire the two British writers okay Gene you're contractually bound but we're going to have somebody else EP it and we're going to have somebody right. else write it so get used to it but and that would be the next summer yeah here we're yeah, still yeah. in the mix with Gene um, the big bear <laughs> I can just see him you know, metaphorically, you know, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, Jack. Let me let me explain things me, to you. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's what's great. When you read this letter, you see that he, he's saying, you know, first of all, he's very congenial, very cordial, mm-hmm. and uh, and boy, you really get it because you get it that science fiction has to be treated no different Thank from God any other type of story. Fiction. And this is yeah. this is pre Star Wars. Yeah. This is before seventy seven. Mm-hmm. So we've got to get into that murky, you know, uh, sci fi being treated being uh, thrown, money that you were throwing at it in a crazy way, or being cheapened to death and people not getting it. What was the line in the old Star Trek writer's guide? If you're the kind of guy that says that happens because it's science fiction, yeah, uh, yeah. bye bye. Then you're wrong. Okay, yeah. we're still in that era here, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But And that's where he starts saying, now let me tell you where you're wrong. <laughs> and, and he says, you know, look, uh, uh, episodes like Where No Man Has Gone Before, A City on the Edge of Forever, we, we, we've been doing that. That, mm-hmm. that, that's what Star Trek does. That's our strength. I'm a little surprised that you didn't understand that already, you know. But then, and I wonder if he, he gets into this uh, rather long paragraph about believability right. because he's talking to an art director. And he says, let's talk about the world that we're creating with science fiction. Everything is new. We can't buy anything off the shelf. Everything has to be justified and has to fit in this world that we're designing and calling Star Trek. He 
he's basically giving him the case that it's in the future, but we might as well be doing a restoration period piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. we're going to have a budget on this. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. a period of not current, not to, you know, right, right, not contemporary, and getting him used to that. But that's a good point that he was an art director, so he's talking to him in art director terms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to build all this. Yeah, uh, but then, but keeping it grounded, it can't be gosh darn gee whiz Buck Rogers. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is about being grounded, right? And that's why Star Trek was a hit in. That's why I'm the guy that's, <laughs> that's connected. That's why I'm here. Yeah. And and to that now, that that's when he starts to get sort of into the the personal politics of Star Trek. Let's get real. Let's get real. Let's get real, Dick, here yeah. now. Yeah. Um, that That's when he says, okay, now you may hear some stories. You may hear that I'm, uh, in so many words, uh, I'm difficult to work with. Um, but, but let me just tell you, uh, all these decisions that I made to fight for Star Trek were the right decisions to make, mm-hmm. or else we would have had. And he goes through this laundry like, list, which I yeah. find hysterical, hysterical and wonderful. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we, we would have Look, had, Dickie, yeah. some might call me difficult, but yeah. some might call me the guy that fought off the square cigarettes for the cigarette sponsor of the future. Yes, yes, or, or the children's space cadets, or we would have had a, cig- uh, a cigar-shaped ship with windows. windows. Uh, and the we, waspy ship's chaplain. The waspy right. ship's chaplain, and, and I love the... Uh, no uh, single women, only married. No single yeah. women, yeah. And, and we're a United States crew fighting godless interstellar <laughs> communism. Um, and we would have not had an interracial crew. He's going through the list of the things that he fought for, or in this case, fought against to make Star Trek right. the unique property that it was. Well, where are well, and he's he's speaking at colleges already. He's paying his mortgage, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we're in a little bit of the um, you know sometimes what I call the gurification era here of Gene, right, right, right. Yeah. But he does say sometimes. Some of the, uh, you know, the bad feelings around Hollywood, around the studio, weren't so much that I fought for these things, but that I was always right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and just to take the sting off a little bit, well, I, I write this in amusement. You know, right, I, right. we're just having fun here. I mean, boy, those were silly days. And, and if you do your due diligence and you ask the people who are creatives on the show, well, they're going to tell you what a good guy I am. Mm-hmm. And, and what talk a, to the people in the trenches with me. Talk to the people who really know. Yes. Yeah, don't, don't talk yeah. to those uh, not stuff the desk, shirt executives. Not types. the paper pushers. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. He's, he's playing with his own stereotype here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, in in our opening sample there, yeah, the egotistical, wild spending, stubborn writer producer, right, uh, just stumble into this. Yeah. What a what a lucky sob, you know. And then to wrap it up and say, uh, well, um, yes, and you you make up your mind and see, talk to those people, yeah, and see if it really was a lucky formula and three years of happy accidents, which I, you know. yeah. I can only imagine, I mean, Dick Silbert having already been in the business for decades, having already Mm -hmm. dealt with, uh, oh, every type of ego and personality on a film set and on the executive. Famously, as an art director would have to do, dealing with directors, dealing with producers, spend more, spend less, do this, do that, but don't spend any money on it, you know. Right. Uh, But can you make it look like... (laughs) <laughs> Mayans? Yeah. Can you make it look like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, I'm sure, felt, had fought his share of um, 
battles. And, and you can uh, kind of understand why in three years you might say, yeah, you know what, uh, I, I, I think I'm happier designing. Yeah, yeah, let me <laughs> go know? back and win a few Oscars that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it tells us a lot with the, uh, it's interesting that the Eisner era is just a couple of years away, actually comes to the studio and then replaces Silbert, takes on the added title of uh, head of uh, production and oversees titles and choosing what gets made, what doesn't. That's all about to change, and this is a transition time. We tend to look at the 70s and Star Trek as just all these things and how they happen to Gene, right? Yeah, but right. it's we step back and we see there is a world going on in Paramount itself. They're, they're married at the hip now. Desilu's owned by Paramount. So yeah. anything Star Trek is going to be Paramount. And uh, the industry, the movie industry, and Paramount itself are going through changes. And, yes, we all famously come down to the motion picture and the team that saw that through saved it and got it out the door mm-hmm. with the wet film prints on December 7th. But um, this is a little interesting transition moment here. It's it's uh, right before the storm hits, right before things change. Yeah. And we're really still in an early 70s mindset here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a very different paramount. And you think about then the, the era that was ushered in by Barry Diller and Michael Eisner. Uh, we were just reading off some of those credits. You know, it's the Star Trek film franchise, Beverly Hills Cop, mm-hmm. uh, the Indiana Jones franchise. Grease. Uh, Grease, foot. Loose, Flashdance, um, these properties that have really become iconic, and that's what Paramount wanted. They were done with the uh, auteur pieces, like what Francis Ford Coppola would turn in, you know. And things so popular that they're still the the stable of what Paramount, you know, for their licensing products, whether it's lunchboxes or it's cookbooks or whatever, they're still the go-to... the go-to brands, the go-to products that have lived with people. They're yeah. so popular, and some of them, like, culture-changing. Yeah. Uh, but, boy, yeah. Dick Silbert. It's, it's not exactly a name destined to go down in galactic history, Leonard. No, but I, I'm if fascinated. If I may choose a, uh, steal a line there from Friday's Child. Uh, but. but I'm really fascinated by, by his tenure, his very unique position and mm-hmm. uh, the way he came up at Paramount and that short time that he was there. And I, I wish he were still around because, boy, I would love to know what this relationship was like and uh, what his feelings were and, and, about Star Trek as it developed along. And just to close out, even though he was gone in three years, a couple only next summer, overlapping with Eisner and his new team, they would all unanimously, apparently, tell Gene, uh, no. Yeah. And we're going to hire a new producer. We're going to start a new project and hire two British guys to do it. Yeah. Right? Which would eventually yeah. be, in retrospect, called Planet of the Titans. Yeah. But, but you kind of get it, maybe. You know, maybe the God thing, because that's what they were working mm-hmm. on at this point. If Dick Silbert was a guy who was interested in movies that had really provocative and bizarre ideas, rather than the uh, quick make-a-buck summer hit, um, sure, he, he might have been fine with developing uh, the God thing along and, and for all of its uh, quirkiness. Of course, Planet of the Titans has its own quirkiness. Its quirkiness but, uh, in big epic dimensions, too, yes, that any yeah. art director or production designer would love to sink in. Yeah, teeth into. Well, this yeah. is excellent. Thank you for sharing this document with us because, um, wow, it, it, it's such a unique slice and, and it is so purely Gene Roddenberry at the same time. And again, like, who's Dick Silbert? Uh, it's, a, it's a doorway, it's a keyway into uh, remembering what's going on at Paramount as well as what's going on in Trekland. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, John, for Thank dropping you. in again. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All our documents are available right on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. 
Now, for more great podcasts, check out podcast.ronberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47. That's me at LarryNemichek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.